0: The scripture today comes from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city... The place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Good morning, it's good to worship with you uh, this morning. My name is Brian, I'm one of the pastors at the church. Uh, If you were with us last week, Pastor Aaron kicked us off in a new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah, um, and we're calling it Rebuilding After 2020. Uh, because how do you come back from such a hard and difficult year like 2020? Uh, well, I believe our series can answer that and so much more, uh, because our hope is that the series wouldn't, would be more than just a self-help guide to picking yourself up and pulling yourselves up by the bootstraps, um, and getting on and getting out of an extremely difficult year. Uh, but we want to raise the bar higher for your expectations. And to help you see that God doesn't just want to help us fix broken walls, but he wants to redeem our broken hearts. He wants to transform you, in other words. And that's what I think this book and passage teaches us today. You know, the whole book is about this wall, though, and so we'll have to talk about it. We'll talk about its importance, uh, the significance that it was laying in ruins. What does that mean for us? And then finally, how can it be repaired? How can it be fixed? once and for all. And all that will help us uh, to get on (laughs) with uh, the days ahead um, that are still really, really tough for so many of us. Let's first talk about the importance of the Ball. Uh, Read with me the first few verses. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence, And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Just as a quick recap, in chapter one from last week, we learn about Nehemiah, who's a cupbearer to the Persian king in the capital city of Susa. And he's a Jew who's born in exile, meaning he's never seen Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors. Now, at this point, a population of Jews have already gone back to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the temple, uh, even though Nehemiah and some population of Jews are still in the exile. But Nehemiah gets report about how the Jerusalem walls are still in ruins, and this deeply saddens Nehemiah. And he prays this wonderful prayer of repentance, which is sort of a model for us. And he's pleading with God to be faithful to his promises. Uh, And that, we're told, was in the month of Kislev. Well, now we're in chapter 2, and this is where our passage picks up. And it's the month of Nisan, which is about four months afterwards. And he's in the service of the king, but he's looking unusually glum. He's really downcast. And the king says, why is your face sad, um, seeing that you're not sick? You're not sick. Uh, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. You see, there's sadness, and then there's sadness of the heart. Uh, there's regular kind of everyday sadness, but then there's sadness that drapes your soul with numbness and heaviness that you can't get rid of. And the question is, why was Nehemiah so sad over a broken wall? I mean, wasn't it just a brick wall? Well, we may not fully understand as modern people because we don't really have cities surrounded by great walls uh, anymore these days. Not any that we really consider to be vital uh, for life and society. Moreover, cities for us, you know, it might be associated with crime and violence and uh, power and greed. Uh, but back then it was the total opposite. You know, people would come into cities for safety, for protection, and even for justice because it was the seat of the, the throne of the king. If you're a farmer up in the hill somewhere, um, a band of marauders or, you know, an army from an enemy nation could just come through with their chariots and horses and, you know, wipe you out. But if you're in a city protected by walls, uh, you'd have safety, you'd have comfort, Uh, You'd have the protection of the king and his army and the walls that surrounded the city. And so it was protection. But there was another reason why these walls were so important to Nehemiah and the people of God um, in particular. And it was because these walls uh, surrounded the city of Jerusalem, which was considered to be the city of cities uh, for them. It was was called the city of God, the city on a hill, uh, the holy city, the city of David, Mount Zion, you know, it was the city of cities. And you see in the Jewish conception, Jerusalem was the city of cities because it was the place where heaven met earth. And more exactly, it was the place where heaven was on earth because the temple was in Jerusalem and God's presence, his glorious presence was in the temple. You know, the psalmist described Jerusalem like this. Talked about its how it was beautiful in elevation and how it was the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. You know, Jerusalem was viewed as the seat of God's rule. And so, when the city of Jerusalem and its walls were standing, the reality of the kingdom of God was well and true. Uh, That God and his people were in shalom and that they were firmly in God's covenant promises of blessings. And so why was Nehemiah so sad that this brick wall was in ruins? Well, look with me further, even though I know that's obvious by now. Look with me in Nehemiah 2.3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face be sad when the city The place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Well, there it is. If the wall represented divine protection and covenant promises, and those walls lay in ruins, well, it must have felt like for Nehemiah, like God had abandoned him and his people, turned his face from him and estranged and distant uh, from him. You know, you have to remember, for some of God's people, it's been nearly a century, if not more, that they've been in exile. And finally, they have a chance to come back to their home place, their homeland, under the decree of Cyrus. Uh, And home is supposed to be the land that God had promised them, land flowing with milk and honey, where they'd be safe from their enemies, a city, a dazzling city, that all the nations would look at with marvel and amazement. But Nehemiah says... But the place of my father's graves lies in ruin, as if to say, the place of my ancestors, of my people, or at least the place where we used to be God's people, lies in ruins. It's sort of the feel of what he's trying to say. But the matter gets more personal than this, because if you were to ask a Jew who had returned to Jerusalem from the exile, you know, why does the wall remain in ruins? They would have responded, well, because we were in exile for a century or so. Well, why were you in exile? Well, because the Babylonians conquered our city and ruined our walls uh, and deported us out of Jerusalem. Well, why? How can God let this happen? And the Jew would have responded, well, funny that you kind of phrase it like that, because that's exactly right. God's the one who let this happen. And you'd ask, what do you mean, God, let this happen? And the Jew would have kind of lowered his head, sunk his head uh, lower and said something like, well, because God said that if we obeyed, that he would be our God and we would be his people and that he would bless us. But if we disobeyed, then he wouldn't be our God anymore and that we wouldn't be his people and that he would curse us. And that one of those curses would be that enemy nations would conquer us. And so, what does is, what is the wall that lay in ruins remind you of? What does it mean to you? And the Jew would sadly respond well, it reminds us of our sin, our guilt, and our shame, that we're living in the consequences of our disobedience. You know, this broken wall is really a broken heart and a relationship with God. That's what it represents. You know, have you recently felt distant from God? Well, as our passage dictates, it it could be a sin that keeps you feeling distant from God. And here's how it works. here's an example from my life. You know, when my eldest daughter, Evelyn, is behaving, as she should, and she gives lots of hugs, and she's a real jokester. She's actually really funny. She cracks me up. Um, And her relationship is so good when she's behaving. But when Evelyn isn't behaving, you know what she does? Well, she stops asking me uh, to play with her. She she stops asking uh, me to build castles with her. She stops hugging. She stops joking. Sin creates distance uh, between us and God. Matt Smethurst said this, Sins are not mere heavenly parking tickets. Their personal assaults against the holy God, disobedience therefore always leads to distance. Do you feel distant from God? Well, the culprit could be sin in your life, and I want to give you a a a, a chance to think about this now, um, to think about the kinds of thing, kinds of sins that you might have in your life. Uh, Kevin DeYoung outlines four types of sin types of sins that I think is helpful for us. And he says there are these kinds of sins. There are sins against God, sins against each other, sins against the body, and sins of the heart. And so sins against God would be, you know, sins like idolatry or flat out disobedience, sorcery if you're into that, it's a sin. Uh, Sins against each other, murder and gossip. Sins against the body, which would be sexual sins like premarital sex. And sins of the heart, Kevin, um, Kevin DeYoung gives us examples of jealousy and pride. You see, all these kinds of things will put a wedge between you and your relationship with God, and you'll feel distant from him. And the more unconfessed, besetting these sins become, uh, the more distance you're going to feel. So, how, so what do you do with this? How do you rebuild broken walls? Well, one common rebuilding attempt is... New Year's resolutions. But need I say more? I mean, these sorts of rebuilding projects are tiring and usually it uh, doesn't last very long because the problem is not broken walls. The problem is not broken spiritual disciplines. The problem is a broken heart, a broken relationship with God because of your sin. And this is actually the story of Nehemiah. It's a story about a rebuilding project that was tiring saw lots of opposition, and the benefits of which didn't last very long. By chapter 6, the broken walls will be repaired, and by chapter 12, the walls will be dedicated with lots of singing and and celebration, and the city will be physically restored, temple and walls and all. But the sad truth is that the people will still feel this wedge, this distance in their relationship with God. It's not what they expected and and hoped for at all. And there's evidence that God was not with them. You see, when Moses erected sort of the proto-temple, which was the tabernacle, you saw the glory cloud of God, which is the physical manifestation of his presence, descend on the tabernacle. And you saw the same thing when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, You saw the glory cloud of God descend on the temple, and it was a sign from God that he was with his people. But here, Nehemiah, the temple is rebuilt, And the walls are rebuilt, brand new city, but no glory cloud. You know, Nehemiah had this mentality, if I build it, then God will come. Like if I rebuild this wall, then we'll be good with God again. But again, the story is not about broken walls or fixing them. It's about a broken heart, a broken relationship. And how do you fix that? How do you fix that? This distance that you feel with God, how do we fix that? Well, the answer that the Bible gives to us is um, rather simple. And it's this. It's to do away with the need for walls in the first place. Let me explain. Uh, rather than rebuilding broken walls, it's far better uh, to not need walls in the first place. Walls are meant to protect, right? But if you did one better, you'd get rid of the enemies from which you need the protection, hence the walls. You know, God spoke his plan for getting rid of the need for walls to begin with. And one such prophecy came from Zechariah. And Zechariah said this, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be her wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Zechariah was prophesying 50 years before Nehemiah about one day when Jerusalem wouldn't need walls because the Lord himself would be the wall of fire to protect his people and that the glory of God would be in their midst. I mean, this is the greatest protection you would ever need. And you'd only need that once and you'd have it for life. You'd be set. Well, how will this come about? Now let's read the final few verses together. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And alert to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God. Was upon me. You know, these final verses in our passage talk about Nehemiah and how he's going to request to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the broken wall. And this pagan king grants this request with more. Uh, And you think, wow, this is such a nice pagan king. Uh, But the thing about it is, pagan kings didn't just Let conquered subjects rebuild their nation. Uh, Was it because this Persian was so benevolent that this is all happening? How and why has this happened? But the key is the last verse. Look with me again. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. You know, the Persian king granted it, but it was because the good hand of God was upon upon nehemiah you know even pagan kings are instruments in god's hands Uh, he's the one true and good god and he's the one who's sovereignly directing all of history so that broken walls could be rebuilt but then what about zechariah's prophecy 50 years ago about doing away with the need for walls i mean why is god Sovereignly directing Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls when 50 years before that he told Zechariah to prophesy that someday Jerusalem wouldn't need walls. Well, the simplest way to understand this is this. God allows Nehemiah to come and fix broken walls now so that he and God's people would realize their greater need to have fixed their broken hearts of sin later. And it's because later on in the story of Nehemiah, what we find is that the, 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 the wall is rebuilt, but God's presence isn't with them, and there's rampant sin all over the place. And that's actually how the book ends. Right? It ends unresolved. You know, the way that he will ultimately teach them that, uh, this, this important truth, that there's this greater need to have their broken hearts fixed is by fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, but it would take many, many years later, 400 years actually, when a carpenter from Nazareth would show up on the scene. And John in his gospel explains it best. And this is how we see Zechariah's prophecy being fulfilled. And John gets it right when he wrote this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And how did God's word come true? Well, it became flesh. That's how it became true. You know, that word dwelt among us, it's the word tabernacled. The glory of God had come to dwell with man. Jesus, the full glory of God displayed the glory of God in our midst. And he would be the protection we would need from the greatest threat of all, which is the wreckage of 2020, hardships and sufferings in this life. No, the answer is the wrath of God. You see, man's greatest threat is God's holy wrath. Sinners can't stand in the midst of his glory because we're sinners. We would be pulverized. How can our broken relationship with God be restored if we can't stand in his presence? Because someone would have to pay the penalty of sin, which is death. God's holiness and righteousness and justice demands payment. And we in faith know how this goes. Jesus would be the glory who would come to be with his people. And instead of a glory cloud, what we got in Jesus was the God of glory himself, Jesus in the flesh. And so that we could have our broken hearts redeemed, he would enter into the fire of God's wrath so that we can enjoy God's glorious presence forever. He would have to die on a cross, taking upon himself the curses of our disobedience, taking on our sin and shame, thereby protecting us from the holy and justified wrath of God, which would have consumed us. It's by Christ's blood and his substitutionary and atoning death that we can enter into the presence of God. That finally, that God's glory would be in our midst. This is what Paul meant when he wrote in Ephesians, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, you're brought near to your God into his glorious presence because Jesus essentially became a wall that would be battered and broken down into ruin so that we'd never need another wall for protection again. Once and for all, he took sin, shame, guilt upon himself so that God's glory could be in our midst. It was never ultimately about fixing broken walls, but it was about redeeming your broken heart of sin. And in Jesus, we have been redeemed. That's all great, Brian, but my life is still tough. You know, we need to live with hardship. And so the trials and difficulties of this season are still things uh, that we'll need to contend with. So how do we, how does this help us? I wanna leave you with something small and simple. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tada in 1967, she was a 17 year old uh, high school grad uh, who went to the Chesapeake Bay uh, with her sister to hang out. And she was diving into the water, into what she thought was deep water, but it was the shallows. She hits her head on the bottom, her head snaps back and she crushes the fourth cervical vertebrae, uh, rendering her paralyzed instantly and she just becomes a quadriplegic for the rest of her life and in an interview with larry king she described in the aftermath just wanting to die and there are just several occasions where because she wanted to die um, she kind of thrashed her body and shook her body hoping that she would do more damage to her neck and even maybe breaking um, something more um, so that she would just end her life but that didn't happen and in one night, in utter defeat, she prayed. And she said, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And in this interview, she says that that was the prayer that changed life just as dramatically as the accident did. Because since that night, she's gone to become a Christian author, a radio host, and the founder of an organization called Johnny and Friends, a Christian ministry for other abled people. And in her book, a best-selling book, The Place of Healing,
0: uh,
1: she testifies to God's faithful character, and she says this, and this is the help that we need today. Um, He has chosen, she says, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. You know, the season is tough. He may not heal some of these wounds here and now, But you know what he has done? He sent Jesus Christ to be the glory in our midst. The God of glory himself who's come down to eternally hold us. And may that be a comfort to you today. Praise God for sending us a son, the glory in our midst, our great Emmanuel. May God be with you during this still tough and trying time. And may God hold you in his eternal embrace forever and all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us your son, the God of glory himself, so that he could be our great Emmanuel. Thank you that even though you may not fix our broken walls, uh, that in Christ that you fix our broken hearts of sin, that we could be restored in our relationship with you, and that might be, just all that we need this season to get through. Thank you for your promise in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.